I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Art Attack with your hosts, Lizzie Dastin and myself, Justin Bua. Today is our 99th episode, and uh, we are going to have a 100th episode at Gabba Gallery on November 23rd. Time still TBD, but check our Instagram, and we hope to see you there. It's going to be a lot of fun, art and hip-hop. Yes, it's going to be art and hip-hop. Can we do an episode on art and musical theater, and I get to talk about Stephen Sondheim and Andrew Lloyd Webber? Can we do that, please? No, no, yeah, why not? I mean, I mean, I have nothing to say. No, I mean, I think that is an important topic, though. I think you should, we should do production design in theater and production design in TV and production design in film. I mean, these are some of the greatest artists that are alive today, are all in the movie, TV, and theater space. I mean, actually, set designs would be really fun because mm -hmm. Florine Stedheimer did set designs for Gertrude Stein play. There's uh, Popova from Russian Constructivism. I mean, anyway, digression. Yeah, but no, that could I mean be cool. for sure. There's there's artists historically, and Picasso was working in plays. Everybody uh, historically, a lot of artists historically have worked in the theater. So I don't think that there's anything wrong with doing that. I mean, Woo-hoo. it's a great. And you know, I have a lot of friends also who do production design in movies, and there's it's there's this so it's vast, you know, and there's so many good people, such a great talent pool that goes to that area because there's so much money there, you know, and people are need to be working artists. Everyone can't just be in their atelier struggling and hustling and starving. You know, they have to get out there into the world. So all right, that's episode 101. But yeah. in the meantime <laughs> In the meantime, guys, Frank Geary, uh architect, human being, Toronto born. I had no idea until Lizzie was like, he's from Toronto. And I think his parents are from Brooklyn or his father's from Brooklyn, but he is definitely a Torontonian, which I did not know. And Canadians love you. Should so we I'm even sure. talk about Canadians? Of course. Have we talked about another artist the entire time who's been a Canadian artist? A Canadian born artist? Yeah. I don't think so. No, it's always European or American. Yeah, it's high Russian. Time. Perhaps. Sometimes non-Western, but yes. not as often as we should. Right, absolutely. We gotta get deeper into that too. See, we're but this episode is really an exploration of what other episodes should be. So anyway, <laughs> uh about Frank Geary, uh, Frank Geary, I was gonna say Frank Lloyd Wright, and I was like, let's talk about uh Taliesin. I'm Taliesin, like, hey, we already yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, of course. So Frank Geary, obviously a very creative person. There's very few architects, I think, that are known worldwide, right? I mean, by the general public. I think Frank Geary is definitely one of the few. People know his buildings, whether you're in New York or or L.A. or anywhere. I mean, you know his work. He's pretty iconic. And uh, Lizzie's going to launch into his life. (laughs) You're like, please, so I don't have to do it. Well, I would love to give a historical context, as I always do, as I think is so integral to learning. And... Right around World War II, modernist architects were starting to explore disruptive ways of producing structures. And Hitler and the Nazis, they felt like any kind of modernist architecture was degenerate. And so in fear, these many of these architects fled from Europe 
And a bunch of them landed in California because the weather is so nice and so many of their colleagues were here. And so LA is actually an epicenter for much really innovative modern architecture. So from that moment, then there was a huge style that launched called the international style. And this was predominantly spearheaded by these European architects who, for the reason I just mentioned, ended up immigrating to the United States. And there's one in particular, Mies van der Rohe, and he standardized this international style, which is basically the downtown financial district building that we can conjure that is prevalent in any city. And that's kind of the point. There's no distinctive personality to these buildings. It is this machine of glass and steel, and it's very impersonal. It is very sleek looking. And somebody like Frank Gehry is reacting against this style of architecture that really could be in any city around the entire world. And he wanted to make something that felt more personal, more site-specific, more organic, and he believes that human beings should not be regulated. And what is a structure if not a container for human activity? And so if people shouldn't be regulated, then the architecture that, that surrounds them shouldn't be either. So what I love so much about Geary's work is that it's witty, it's playful, it's fun, and many of his, his buildings could not function anywhere else. And that was a complete reaction against the international style that came before. Yeah, I mean, his whole motto was to defy, defy categorization. I mean, he did I just say that incorrectly? To defy categorization. Categorization. Hmm. I'm just looking at you, kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, specifically, when you look at his dancing houses in Prague, I mean, that, that really looks almost Dr. Seussian. You know what I mean? It's really Dr. Seuss. Uh, it's the perspective is skewed. There's, it looks like just undulating architectural design designed by a sense of free association and it's whimsical and it's got a personality to it as well. And it, you know, it does look like it is twisting and tilting and, uh, very much like animation. You know, I think that his work feels like it's it's definitely from another dimension, right? Sometimes, too. It looks like it's just space. The Final Frontier, Disney Concert Hall in L.A. Very out there. I mean, who was doing this? Anybody? Uh, to me, the lineage is more Gaudi than yeah. anybody else because I it is that. so idiosyncratic and so whimsical and such a... An antidote to the corporate systematized architecture that really is pervasive around cities. And I just love the humor in his work. And mm. I think the dancing houses are great examples. To me, they're sort of a historical or a riff on the historical precedent of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And even though that was not designed to be leaning yeah. and has over time because of whatever structural. Uh, insecurities in the land, but still now it is. And so he 
in my opinion, at least with those houses, it's kind of a contemporary riff on something that is old. So I see a lot of history and a lot of thought and a lot of play. And you mentioned the Disney Concert Hall and that, I don't know if he's explicit about this. I actually think he has a reference point as sales, definitely in the Bilbao Guggenheim Museum. It's supposed to mm. echo the the billowing, undulating sails of a ship. But in the Disney Concert Hall, it's almost like a piece of paper has been crumpled and then re-released to form and to occupy a little bit more space. And it just feels... It feels very distinctive in the environment that it's in. And actually, there was a little bit of controversy about this particular building. The facade is highly reflective. Mm. So reflective, in fact, that the heat of neighboring buildings increased by 30 degrees. 30 degrees because the sun was bouncing off of the facade of the Disney Concert Hall and bouncing back into their own buildings. And so... Geary or people working for Geary had to minimize that reflective quality. So sometimes this play is not always seamless. Mm. And another example of that is his private home. Which just, is to, in- but just to give you a perspective of what these projects cost, it was a total cost for the project was $274 million. Wow. The parking lot alone was $110 million. And what do typical buildings tend to cost? You Fifteen dollars, but um, <laughs> so big. No, difference. I have no idea. But the point is that uh, <laughs> these things are not like these architectural monoliths, like the the concert hall. And this is, by the way, you know, completed in two thousand three. This is not by today's standards. I I don't really know, but I mean, I think that when you're Frank Geary and you've got money coming in from Disney and private investor, I mean, it's just it takes a lot of money to do these giant that would think about the acoustics alone right you have to get those acoustics perfect and everything so yeah they're very thoughtful and that is something that is also distinctive from the international style of architecture the Mies van der Rohe uh, modern monolith in the sky because that design does not really integrate the functionality of the insides who cares what's going to happen inside that building we just need to make sure that it is structured like these little boxes and that we celebrate the use of modern materials. But Geary is more holistic in his designs. He cares that this building is going to serve this function. And so he wants that functionality to be echoed in the design itself. And I wanted to talk about his private home because to me, the most unfettered example of an architect's ingenuity, creativity is in the home that he or she designs for him or herself because there's no outside donor. He, in this case, didn't have to pander to anybody else's idea and it's all him himself. This is just his expression of what it is that he wants to do. And it's in Santa Monica on Washington Boulevard. I'm such a creeper. I go by this house all the time. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite homes to just bask in the genius of. And it's really the first example of deconstructivist architecture. He took a pre-existing Dutch colonial home and then encircled that house with another home. So it's really Mm -hmm. a house within a house. And the house that he built around it is very angular, embracing much more modern materials and a modern aesthetic. And it must be so disorienting to be inside, not really knowing where you are spatially, what's up, what's down. 
it, there's no sense of stability. Mm. You're in a house within a house. And I bring this up after the controversy of the Disney because neighbors do not embrace this house as as much as architectural historians do. It really does not preserve the architectural continuity of the neighborhood. And so I've heard that the people protest it. Just because aesthetically it was an eyesore? Have you seen this building? I mean, it does. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, it looks very, very different from everything around it. And anything that doesn't extend the homogeneity of a neighborhood is often met with criticism. So that I kind of feel happened. like there's a couple of houses on my block that I wouldn't mind protesting <laughs> because of the lack of harmonious... Uh, let's see. Okay. It's pretty out there, but yeah. I, I think that's cool. It was completely innovative at the time that he that he created the structure and the fact that he is embracing the history of LA architecture and yet adding his own creative spin is to me so beautiful and that represents such a harmony of history because there's one house that is fully intact but then there's another house that amplifies it yeah i mean he's there's not a lot, look, there's not a lot of architects out there that people know and that, that are so omnipresent, and I think he's one of the few, and I don't think that uh, people take notice necessarily, like you do, <laughs> obviously, or I do. I go by the Disney concert hall all the time, so I'm always looking at the structure of that building because my daughter goes to jiu-jitsu on Grand Street. It's on Grand Street downtown in L.A., and I think that... As an artist and as an art historian, we notice these things. And I think it's very important to notice these things. And I certainly also notice uh, kind of the antithesis of, of Gary, which is like the real homogenization and blockness of specifically architecture in Los Angeles. Because a lot of it was devised in the 50s and 60s. And it's just really boring and really bland. So to have an architect like a Gaudi or a Frank Lloyd Wright or a Frank Gehry uh, is everybody named Frank? I just thought of that for a second. I don't think it's Frank Gaudi. No, I know. I know it's not. But <laughs> I'm just saying Frank. Franks really have a good like genetic predisposition to become architects, I think. But I, but I think it's very rare to also be able to have the freedom and the luxury to take your vision from blueprint and design to building it and to construct it. Because construction is really not about um, art anymore. It is just you very. It, it there's very few artists who are making buildings. People making buildings are because they're pragmatic. It's a practical approach to problems of housing people and making money, and that's what people care about. Especially here, you know. I think New York and San Francisco. There's a lot more architectural freedom and fun and individuality. Certainly, houses and buildings and streets that are designed with a sense of free association. But here in L.A., having a Geary and Lloyd Wrights is really nice because I feel like they are diamonds in a coal mine of homogenized garbage. <laughs> I don't 
think that LA is quite that bad with the the homogeneity of the buildings. I actually think that there's some truly stunning examples that Absolutely. Have into every neighborhood. For and sure. But we don't have what like I had in New York, which is you have all those pre-war buildings and the architecture. And right. It was just, it's different. And people were more thoughtful. I mean, you go to Belgium, right? You walk down the streets of Bruges, for example, and you notice that like, oh my God, this building was built in like 1512 and this one's 1436 and they're gorgeous and they're... The craftsmanship that goes into them is just stunning, and they thought about it so much, and now they're just throwing up blocks. Right. Well, L.A. is not a medieval city, and so right. I think but, yeah, but, the aesthetic is going to But to have Geary that. in L.A. is really cool, and to it have is. Frank Lloyd Wright in L.A. is really cool. And there are so many examples of each architect working in the city, and of course, throughout the country and the world, although I don't think that Frank Lloyd Wright has quite the international presence that Geary does, but they become these really exciting, dynamic surprises. There's a Frank Geary building that just opened up uh, two minutes away from where I live. And every time I see it, it's like this web of interlocking wires. And there's a really cool interpretive clock in, on the facade. And it's so fun. And I think everybody notices them, which is a hallmark of his success as an architect because architecture typically is something that we walk by but that we don't acknowledge, we don't really observe. And anybody who's been to Venice, or I guess it's Santa Monica slash Venice in LA, has probably seen the binocular building, or it's called the, the Chiat Day. And that is a Frank Lloyd Wright. It was actually a collaboration with a pop artist, Klaus Oldenburg. And that's a wonderful, splendid example of an integration of the functionality of the building with the building itself, because mm. the the tops of the binoculars, what is that called? The the viewing topsickers? No, I'm kidding. The the topsic tops. I think <laughs> I think that's the binopsitops the is definitely the name. Exactly. Yeah. They are meetings. They're big conference rooms, mm. and then the Oculus on the top ends up being the skylight. So Frank Geary and Frank Lloyd Wright. Who do you like better? Geary. Interesting. I really love the humor. Mm. I think that humor is the unsung hero of art and architecture. And I see Geary as such a passionate advocate for that subject, for that way of seeing the world. And why not in an aerospace museum have a some kind of rocket or airplane on the front projecting out? Why not integrate mm -hmm. outside and inside? And I think that Geary does that in such a cool way. I imagine it would be hard to repurpose a Geary, but as we talked about with our Frank Lloyd Wright episode, it is really difficult to refurnish a Frank Lloyd Wright because there is such an intentionality. So in yeah. that way, maybe they're not that different. It's just about what organic architecture means to each of the Franks. Right, well, I think that's a good point, though, like how, how you said that Geary takes humor and takes the, the brain of the idea and integrates it into the design. And Frank Lloyd Wright did that too in a much more organic way. He took the, the actual landscape and integrated that into the design of the home, whether it was the stone uh, coming through the floor or you know, taking a tree out of the forest and building it up as a skyscraper, right? So, like, he does the same thing, but in a different way. He's not humorous at all, if anything. No, he's, he's so... super dark and heavy. Heavy. He's heavy. He's heavy. 
and yeah. it, and it's intense. And I think that you you're right about you know Geary has a certain whimsicalness and playfulness about his architecture. It makes you it makes it fun. And so that's interesting that people consider like that building such an eyesore because it's different. You know, it's not just fun different. I know, and we have to embrace that and also embrace the fact that this city is not medieval. And so, sure, we don't have the kind of architecture that you're going to find in Europe, and so let's lean into what we do have. Let's lean into the landscape that is prevalent in this city. And thinking about that, I'm reminded of his Venice Beach House, this beach property that is oceanfront. And there is such a fun little annex to that house that echoes the shape of a lighthouse. And mm. I believe it's a studio, or that was the, the function when he initially designed it. But he really is integrating the site specificity of where he is. And LA is a fun, idiosyncratic place. And mm. I think a lot of his buildings look like stage sets. And they are much more on the nose than perhaps architecture in New York, but doesn't that fit energetically with the mindset, the the way that we live in the city? It just feels like a big celebration, but very splashy. Yes, kind of like my house, a very big splashy celebration of Spanish. That was an odd tie-in. <laughs> 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 I, I, I don't know. Frank Geary, no, Frank Geary is, he's, he's, you know, what do you say? A guy like Frank Geary is a, he's more than just an architect. You know, some people, some people in their respective fields transcend their fields and become an artist, right? So architects, sure, they're artists, but they're, he's an artist with a unique vision of the way he sees the world. And he actually has the freedom and capacity to, to experience that and and make it alive for everybody to experience. It's very rare, very luck. It's I I don't like using the word luck or fortune, but it's a combination of luck, fortune, and probably a tremendous ability and talent and drive. Right? It's all of those things coalescing, and that's what happens when you have a Frank. Geary or Frank Lloyd Wright or uh, Gowdy or somebody who's really at that level because you don't really see buildings like that come to life and become part of the landscape. And they're more than just architecture for pragmatic purposes. They're art. It's architecture, you know? <laughs> Ooh, that's a nice little portmanteau. No, but it is. It's really like art. So it tra it really transcends just interacting with space and being space and living in space, it becomes art and space. And you, people could say, oh, well, every building is like that. That's not really true. You know, it's not really true. Most buildings are designed for practical reasons alone, period, point blank, end of story. Right, and I think that that makes sense because buildings require a tremendous amount of money to construct. Sure. And somebody who is a patron of a building, and this there's a historical precedent to this with architecture in... Uh, in the United States from the 1870s onwards, really, that you want to build things fast and you want to build things cheap. Yep. And at the time, that was innovative because we get to celebrate industrial materials, whereas in Europe, it's much more about the form over the function. Mm. And so I think that architecture has taken 
this really circuitous, beautiful journey where we go from a celebration of materials alone to the standardization in an extreme sense, i.e. the Mies van der Rohe international style, and now we're adding in the personality. And the Frank Geary buildings, to me, are characters walking on the Mm. streets. And they also are functional in a way that even transcends Frank Lloyd Wright because from what we talked about in our feature on him, his buildings are livable, sure, but they're tougher. For Frank Geary, or uh, for Frank Lloyd Wright, he had such an absolutist perspective on architecture that the furniture had to be built in exactly as he designed it. The facade had to look exactly as he had predetermined. But with the Frank Geary, it feels like it's a lot looser, it's a lot more livable, and definitely a lot more fun. Funny, though, because each one designed a Guggenheim. Frank right. Lloyd Wright. Yeah, did he the one in New York. Exactly. And then Frank Didn't Geary. finish it, though. He designed it, and he didn't live to see it actually completed. So it did look a little different than his initial architectural designs. But it was definitely super transformative during that time. It was, that was a revolutionary building in New York, for oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. And, and also, then, he yeah. well, he mostly did domestic spaces. And so I think the Guggenheim in New York was a departure, too, because it was more of a corporate space. And then Frank Geary, he designed the Guggenheim and Bilbao. So I do think there is a lovely relationship between the two, and I see points of connection, but mm-hmm. I really do see some pretty considerable departures. Did you, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, design the Guggenheim in New York with a design of the spiral? That was his whole thing. I want to do a spiral. He, was, he had blueprints of that, uh, drawings of that in the 20s that he always wanted to utilize and finally he was able to do that for the Guggenheim. Right. And then with Frank Geary, it's more of a sale. So it feels if a shell or a spiral is more static, I guess a spiral isn't because that sure it's moving. That presupposes <laughs> movement. But if a shell is a reference mm. and that's kind of solid and grounded, mm. then a sale, there's more transcendence to that. Mm. I love it. And I love Frank Geary. And I love everybody named Frank. <laughs> Especially Frank Gaudi. <laughs> Frank Sinatra. It's not Frank Gaudi. I'll just say. Right. <laughs> Frank Stein. Great. Frank Shepard Ferry. That's actually his first name. Really? Yeah. Oh, boy. He's not going to want you to say that, but that's okay. It's <laughs> a great name. That's okay. We're including him in a list of geniuses. <laughs> it's fine. There's a lot of great Franks. Uh, too many to name. Too many to list. So if you don't know Frank Geary, check him out. If you don't know Frank Lloyd Wright, check him out. And I'm sure you know Frank Shepard Ferry. <laughs> All right, guys. Peace. <laughs>